and welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, don't forget the swinging sounds. Also, we've got now my son's podcast music. Go to drew.com slash podcast music. He is a great composer. I use his music. I'm, I kid you not, you'll be impressed. And also support those that support us here. Click through on the Amazon banner. Click through at the support the products and services that support the keeping the winds and the sales of the Corolla Pirate Ship. I'm really privileged to welcome my guest, Ruthie Lindsay. Ruthie and I met just a couple of days ago. And I said, I'm putting you on a podcast immediately. (laughs) (laughs) We need to share this story uh, with my audience. Ruthie, you can follow her on Ruthie, R-U-T-H-I-E, Lindsay with a D-S-E-Y. Also Twitter and Instagram at Ruthie Lindsay. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, well, first let's discuss how do we meet. Well, it's actually really interesting. So I was speaking Saturday morning at a conference called the Human Gathering. Right. And and it's West, it's, um, West Chapman. It's West Chapman's uh, event. We have West Chapman. Get, we, that was still one of the craziest podcasts we've ever done. I understand. Wow. And, and Wes is still out there doing unbelievable great work. And if you want to see it, just look up the Human, human Gathering uh, and the Human Project. But you're going to tell me what podcast uh, I did with Wes. Is it behind the paywall still? Yeah, so you have to go to Podcast One Premium, I believe, is how you get it. Is that right, Kerry? That is right. He was on 275 and 280. And just told you can go to, his uh, story, which, wow. of course, is yeah. very, very intense. Very intense. And you told your story at the Human yeah. Gathering. Well, it was interesting because the night before, I didn't have one minute of sleep. And um, I was super anxious. And I never get anxious to speak. I love it so much. And I was like, I- I'm not going to be able to even articulate a thought. I had not slept one minute. And it was... And I just was like freaking out about it. And because you were anxious about it? No, uh, I was hurting. You had pain that night. Yeah, I always do. But I usually can get at least like three or four hours. But that night was just really bad. And I was up like throwing up. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh, they brought me in to do this. And I'm not going to be able to like articulate anything because my brain is mush because I'm exhausted. And- well, you spoke. And I hope we'll get to this as you as we lean through your story is that you – and the word lean is in my head because you spoke so vividly about leaning into the pain and leaning yeah. through and working through. And I, I think maybe the fact that the pain was with you that yeah. day helped you sort of revivify that message. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's never not with me, but I think something really beautiful happens when like we don't have control huh. at all. And I think, I don't know, I believe that there is something greater than us. I am I joke, I'm like, God, Jesus, and the universe, something's up there that loves us so much. And I think sometimes when we feel like, I don't know. I felt kind of broken, you know, and I think something happened despite me. And I was able like because I shouldn't have been able to make a clear thought. But well, it was it was a wonderful and I'm hoping we can even if we get 80 percent of it here, yeah. we, I, I feel like you'll really be sharing something important. So let's you. go. Yeah. Like you started in yeah. life in yeah. an idyllic started, situation. I did. I was so fortunate and I had a really incredible childhood. I had incredible family. I had men that loved me so well, a mom that loved me very well. I Never went a day without knowing that and how loved I was and how treasured I was. And I thought everyone else experienced that too, you know. And then um, – And you, what part of the country were you in? I grew up in South Louisiana mm-hmm. on a farm in the middle of nowhere. My dad plowed our garden with a mule and it was amazing. And this team, Did he choose to do that? or yes, was he, yeah. he just loved it. We had all these Amish friends. He studied – he was a historian and he studied and he felt like that's the way that it was like the best. He did everything with – or I mean he did organic before organic was like a thing, you know, and he's just like, he loved working the land. (coughs) Was he he a farmer by trade? Nope. He was in education. Yeah. He, um, but he raised Llewellyn setters. He raised bird dogs. We had chickens and cattle and donkeys and mules and horses and pigs and 
cows and, you know, just the whole, he just loved it. He loved it so much. That was his heaven, be it working our farm. And he like fed our town with our vegetables because it was just our little tiny family, you know. And I looked at other people and I had this very naive idea that everyone else had a life like that and were happy and just happy going about life. And my, you had how many brothers? I have two older brothers, brothers. and they yeah. are the dream. Yeah. They're the best. I slept in my oldest brother's room until he graduated high school. They loved me so well. And my um, senior year of high school, my world kind of turned upside down a little bit. You uh, were a cheerleader. I was, a, I was the tallest. I'm six foot tall. <laughs> and I was the tallest cheerleader that ever existed in life. And it was and, a small little school, too. Well, we it was the only school. <laughs> and so um, we had like 115 people in our class because it was the only school for our whole um, parish. So all the little surrounding and, and for people who aren't from Louisiana, yeah. parish sort of meant county. County. Is, you think yes. It's not just a church. That's right. That's, oh, yeah. People yeah. are like, are you Catholic? I'm like, yeah. no. I just grew up in Louisiana. Um, so I was, I had organized a group of people to go to Baton Rouge to go to this place called Celebration Station. And I didn't know how to get there. And I have the worst sense of direction. And Baton Rouge was the big, big That's time the for ta- you guys. Like for us, I mean, it's an hour away. And if you want to know how small Baton Rouge is, it's called Baton Rouge because they marked it off with a red <laughs> stick. Baton right. Rouge. It was a red, yep. bunch of red sticks that they marked around. That's right. That's exactly right. And I um, was trying to keep up with everyone. We had stopped at a gas station and I was the last car and I pulled out in front of an ambulance and he hit me on my car door going about 65 and I broke um, my car door ended up in the passenger seat and I broke three ribs and they punctured my lungs and my lungs collapsed and then my spleen ruptured and I broke C1 and C2, which are the top two vertebrae in your neck. And um the ambulance driver saved me. You were unconscious. I, yes. I don't remember any of it. And we know that if he had not been there, I wouldn't be alive. But the reason being is that C1, if you have a, first of all, if you have a fracture of C1, it can impinge on your spinal column right. and you stop breathing right. easily and have paraplegic completely. Right. But up there at C1 is where all the vital functions are. Right. And the, it was, you know, if the kids in front of me had seen it. If someone had tried to pull me out of the car and mm-hmm. not stabilize my, I mean, I'd be paralyzed. They yes. were like, you should be either paralyzed, yeah. brain dead, or not alive. Yeah. He probably had to breathe for you too a yeah. little bit. So he had to, he had to stabilize yep. you and breathe. It's exactly. A big deal. I mean, yeah. he's safe. We know I wouldn't be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was my fault. Um, so I was in the hospital. I was on life support. I was there for about a month. and In the ICU. Um, I was in ICU for a few weeks, but not the whole entire time. How long were you in coma? I was, um, I actually wasn't very well, long. Okay. I I woke up, my friend Brian, who was in the car with me, said that the first words he heard me say was I was in, um, I don't know if it's the MRI or CAT scan, but he said that I was said, excuse me, I'm very uncomfortable in here. <laughs> Whereas now I'd be like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> I was a lot Sweeter, probably. What, what was he doing there? Was he hanging around? Well, he were... was in the wreck with me, so he rode in the ambulance with them to oh, the and hospital. He was fine. He was not touched. Wow. Which I think about that today, like how different my life would be if I'd hurt either of them. Mm, either that, of them. Who else was in there? The ambulance driver. Oh my because gosh. Because it was my fault. Uh. I mean, that my life would be different. Uh. You know. Uh. Um, so I, after my, I was stable and off life support. They, they had put chest tubes in. They. Um, they removed my spleen, and then they were needed to stabilize my neck. And so they took bone out of my hip and fused it into my neck with wire. And back then, that's that was the standard practice. And Did you have to have a halo? You know what? I didn't. They wow. thought I would. And when they turned me over on the surgery table to do the surgery, my uh. neck fell into place. Ugh. Yep. Scary for them. Yep. Because it could have exactly. not fallen into place. Like, exactly. Okay. So it, 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 yep. it, it's... 
um, the position properly. Okay, it was so positioned it, yeah. properly, and so for some reason they chose because of that. I guess I don't remember all. The, I don't. Yeah. I don't remember. You didn't need a halo it. anyway. Didn't, didn't wear a halo. I had a neck brace for about five months. Big one. Big one. I looked hilarious, and I was in the hospital a month. I was super lucky. I was young and healthy, and I walked out of there. Um, I went back to school. It happened on my dad's birthday, November 2nd. Um, I went back to school after Christmas and didn't miss another day of school. I graduated on time. Um, I mean, I if you're looking at me, you wouldn't know that anything had happened. All of my scars are hidden from surgery, with from my surgery, with from my clothes, my hair covers, my neck scar, like and so I just, I don't know. I went back to life like nothing happened. I didn't, at the time, I really didn't have any residual effects. I got sore every once in a while from like being too active and I dance a lot. So that would make Were me sore. Were you and stuff still? Um, I only was able to cheer at our last basketball game, okay. but they just kind of let me do it. I wasn't able to do very much. They tried um, to make you play basketball? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I am like, it's the ongoing joke. I'm the biggest waste of a tall girl. And I was in this teeny <laughs> tiny town and they tried to make me play. And every time I would block a shot, I would apologize <laughs> to my opponent. And I'd be like, I'm so sorry. And my coach would make me like run stadiums to try to toughen me up. I'm like, I just want to dance, <laughs> which is their freaking nightmare. Cause I'm like the tallest girl that ever came through the town and I was good at it. I just oh, didn't care. So, I don't have a competitive bone in my body. So now here you are with a neck, an unstable, well, some sort of fractured neck yeah. and no spleen. And, and no spleen. Chest tubes and yeah. the, the pneumothoraces. And now you're back out dancing in a few months later. Yeah, crazy. exactly. Crazy. It was crazy. It was pretty miraculous, honestly. And I went on to college. I had a great college experience. I was a terrible student, but I had literally the most fun ever. And I met so many amazing humans. And I ended up being an offered a job in Nashville right out of school. And I, like, I've never had a resume. I didn't apply for one job. And I was just really lucky. And I met someone and they offered me one. I was like, okay. And so I moved there. I didn't know a soul. And um, probably about a year into that, I met my very first boyfriend. And my parents were just like so incredibly stoked because they just knew. I loved girls. And I was like, I <laughs> wish I loved girls. That would be such a dream. I do really well with girls. Um, but I don't. And so we were just clueless and excited. You and the boyfriend. Me and the boyfriend. And, and young. How old then? I was 23, I think. Okay. 22 okay. or 3. Yeah. Um, and how long he did, was how 21. Prior to that, had the accident been? Um, my accident. So that had probably, that was like five or six years later. Wow. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. And so we were just idiots and young and naive and there's something there's something really sweet about our night if it's hey i don't even know yeah but you, well, you wish for that yeah with the stories going to interesting places right you, you wish for those times yeah. again yeah and we just were hopeful and excited and yeah. we had big dreams and i had no reason to think that everything wouldn't just work out great because yeah. everything had always worked out great for me yeah. and um we got married 10 months after we met because we were like guilty feeling Christians for having sex. And we um, were just idiots. And I I guess about a year into our marriage one day, I was walking out in front of the Starbucks and this shooting pain um, went up my neck. I, I remember thinking, did I get shot? Was I electrocuted? Like, I didn't know. I, like, was I struck by lightning? But something what, massive. Something, something massive, massive that you. knocked me down. Um, I felt like I was going to vomit. I blacked out for a second, and I felt like I was going to vomit. I was left with this, like, inky gray feeling at migraine, and I was scared to death. I mean, I just sat in my car after that happened for a little. I was like, can I drive? What? I didn't. It just what scared happened? the yeah. shit out of yeah, me. Yeah. And I drove home, and 
I mean, I told Will, but I didn't even know how to describe it. I'm like, this is, and I had the worst headache I'd ever had in my life. And I just went straight to my bed. I was like, something's wrong. Like that was not, I've never felt anything like that before. And I started going to all these doctors, neurologists, orthopedic surgeons. And every time they would have me do it, you might know, I don't know if it was an MRI or a CAT scan, but every time the film would come back, there'd be this little black spot on it. And all the doctors would be like, oh, that's just the magnets in the machine interacting with the wire from your spinal cord fusion. I'd love to see see the reports of the scans. Yeah, I could find them. Because they couldn't really do an MRI if you have metal in there, right? Then maybe it was a CAT scan. scan, The CAT scan sort of splays a little weird shadow from the – it's a shadow. That's probably what they're talking about, the shadow from the metal. And they would be like – they would look at everything around it and – you know, they started me on all these different therapies. Um, nothing was helping. Physical therapy. Physical therapy, aquatic therapy. I mean, I was Did trying- you have to be on blood thinners or anything? Were they worried about, you know, what was going on in your head, in your brain? I don't remember blood thinners. Okay. I don't remember that. Um, everyone was like not concerned. I don't they just like, couldn't see anything. Yeah. yeah. And after a while, like it, the, it started happening more and more often. And they started prescribing. They first started with hydrocodone, and then that—that uh, um, that was my first. Uh, that was the first one, and then it just kept building. And I, the pain kept building because, of course, you kept going with more pain meds. Yep. that intensifies the pain, and here we go. And here we go. Game and I—and it was—it just got darker and darker and worse and worse. And I started spending pretty much every minute in my bed um, because it, I was so it, the pain was so debilitating, and. And your husband was a musician. He's husband, out on the road through all this? He's on the road a lot. And it just became the most isolating. Um, it was so terrifying. How long from that first Starbucks experience to bed, to sort of stuck um, in bed? I mean, pretty instantly. Like a few weeks or? or... Um, but for it to be full on, at the beginning, it was full on bed because I was like, I, th- I thought you handle it the way you would like acute pain where right. it's like if something bad happens, you, you rest you it. Rest and it, then yeah. until, you know, and... I didn't know. I mean, who does know how to handle anything like that? But I had no idea. I was like, I feel awful, so I need to get in bed because I feel freaking terrible. And I mean, I would say it was a gradual. I would make myself still go and do, but it just continued to get worse and worse Mm -hmm. and worse. So within a year, I spent the majority of my time in bed. like And on meds. And on more and more meds. I mean, it just kept building and building. And finally, I mean, I went to a bunch of doctors. I'm sure. And finally... After like four and a half, almost five years, um, my mother-in-law was like, I know you've seen a ton of doctors, but I'm going to – and everything was out of pocket too. So that was this mm. other crazy – we were so young and he's an artist and I couldn't work and like I had to stop working. And like it was really stressful and really hard. And I honestly can't imagine how scary for a partner that would be. I was like so vivacious and I was such a happy – you know. and then all of a sudden a year into – being married, I am bedridden and becoming more and more of a shadow of myself mm. every day. I mean, it breaks my heart for him. I, I truly can't imagine how hard that would have been. Um, and so finally, my mother-in-law was like, you know, I know you've seen a ton. I'll pay for you to go see this new doctor. I've heard great things, blah, blah, blah. Bring him all my films. He's like, listen, I can't tell you what's going on until I see what's under that spot. Like, you know, and in my head, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that how, how'd they get past? How'd they f- image it? Um, a $50 x-ray. Just a plain x-ray. Yep. Oh, my gosh. $50. And up to that, every film I'd had before was like $2,000 every yeah. time that we couldn't afford. And it did the same thing, you know. Uh. So uh, this $50 x-ray showed that one of the wires had broken and pierced my brainstem. Oh, my God. And so was it loose in your brainstem? 
I don't think so. I think I mean it was it lodged. Just like, it just like it, like it sprung in. It in broke off. I ha- I have to show you a photo. I would can, love. To I see have it. a photo of it. Okay. Yeah, and I use it usually in my slideshow. For, what, why don't you get it? You have it within reach. Um, I don't I, know. It might be interesting for. I can definitely search it and I can send it to you. Okay. I okay. have it on my computer. On okay. My, okay. So, um, basically. It was supposed to be wrapped down, and it popped up and, and pierced into my brain stem. Oh, my God. And um, I got a frantic phone call from the doctor, and I just freaked out. It scared me so bad. I mean, I mean literally any movement you yeah. could – I felt like a ticking time bomb. You were. Yeah. He was I mean, like – I cannot impress to people how, how delicate that part yeah. of the brain is. Yeah. And we don't do surgeries in that right. area because yeah. you don't want to mess with it. It's right. too dangerous. Right. And, and any, anything in there can cut off all your vital supplies, your right. vital, vital functions. And basically, I was told, like, you should be paralyzed. Yeah. If we don't get this out, you will be paralyzed eventually. Like, For it's sure. a miracle you're not right yeah. now. And surgery itself is very high risk of paralysis. Yeah. So I was horrified, terrified, t- traumatized. I mean, I just shut down, freaked out, couldn't even think about it. My brothers are both in the medical profession, so they kind of took over for are me. Are they doctors? Or? My one brother is um, a primary care doctor in our little teeny tiny hometown, and he's the most precious human that ever existed. And my other brother, who's so amazing, sells medical equipment to spinal cord surgeons. Oh, my God. How That's crazy convenient. is that? <laughs> so they took over for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm sure. I couldn't even th- – I didn't even want to talk about it. No, that's a good team to have taken yes, over. Yes, and the they're way. the best human. Yeah. I'm the luckiest person. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I – about two weeks later, my dad, who we uh, call Papa, had told my mom and my godfather that he was going to come see me to tell me that he would sell our farm so I could have the surgery because it was so high risk and they knew I had to have it, but insurance wouldn't cover it. And I didn't know that. Um he stopped to see our Amish friends on the way because, you know, as you do, go pick up donkeys and mules. And <laughs> he's just so freaking cute. And the night before, I have voicemails from him that day calling me and scheduling to come see me the next day. And I have a voicemail saved on my phone, actually, on my computer that where he calls my mom. And he's like, I'm going to get to see my girl tomorrow. And I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. I'm going to see my baby girl. Um and so the night um, before he was coming to see me, no one was around him when this happened. We don't really know exactly what happened, but he's clumsy like me. And he had a freak accident and ended up falling down a flight of stairs and ended up passing a brain damage. And um, it was just, it was the craziest, like, I remember I would lay in my bed and I remember I would pinch myself. I would make myself bleed because I was like, you're going to wake. This is not real. There is no way that this is your life that this is reality like there it can't be real um it was it wasn't just like a massive loss for me and my family but it was also a massive loss for our community like he um i know i was telling y'all on saturday like he was just one of these people that he was so magnetic and he was such a light and you always knew what you were going to get. He was just this jolly, like you wanted to be in his presence because it felt so good. Mm-hmm. You left his presence feeling so seen and so loved and so cared for. And every time he'd leave my brothers and myself when we were children, he'd say, I love you so much. Remember your manners and always look out for the little guy. Um, and that's how he lived. And he wanted us to notice the people that everyone else missed and not just notice, but like enter in and love them. And so this crazy, beautiful thing happened in the midst of this 
shit show of a experience. Like my um, godfather ended up setting up this medical fund in my dad's honor. And it was so precious because I started getting these letters in the mail and all of them. We did not have much, by the way. Like we were not <laughs> wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I'd get a letter in the mail and it would have a check. And I'm like, your dad bought my prom dress. Your dad sent me on my senior trip. Your dad pays my rent. Your dad sent me to school. Your dad paid my first year's tuition. It's like it's a wonderful life. Yeah, it was. And the most insane amount of money was raised um, because he had just loved people so well. And it was um, crazy. It was just, it was the, it was so humbling and such a, I, I just remember thinking like, oh my God, I am so honor that that's my dad like what a privilege that I got to have him the first 29 years of my life you know like he was just such a gift um to me and to everyone around us and so I was this freak medical anomaly apparently I'm the only person that's ever had a wire in their brainstem and doctors Get off on that. They love it so much. And so I started being pretty heavily. You never want to be an interesting patient. No. You don't want to be an interesting patient. No. No, no, no. Please. Yeah. That is not any. But you had some offers, I bet. But I mean, I had really great offers and I ended up choosing. I mean, it was hard because I wanted to just shut down and mourn and be sad. But I was like. Your brother's help, right? My brothers were so helpful. And my husband was really, Mm. you know, he showed up the best he knew how. We didn't know what we were doing. And we were both just in survival mode. And I would go meet with these doctors and everyone had a different idea on what to do because no one had ever done it. And I couldn't go off experience, you know, and I ended up choosing Mayo and this like top neurologist, this top orthopedic surgeon ended up doing it together. And it was about a 12 hour surgery. And they going into it, they're like, you know, we hope this will help with your pain, but we're doing this because you will not be walking eventually. Or surviving. I I don't know if they could, I I don't emphasize that enough. That is vital function zone and paraplegic. Yeah. That's that's where you, all our respiratory functions are in there. Yeah. Um, they didn't say that to me, <laughs> which yeah. I know you're – I mean, you know, I'm sure I they just didn't – I mean, I don't – I have to see the exact level and stuff, yeah. but I, I – by the sounds of things. Yeah. I mean, a lot also was filtered through my brothers. Yeah. They filtered a lot. Well, they didn't need to tell you stuff like Exactly. That. <laughs> it would have just – I mean, yeah. I was already no, – Paraplegia sounds bad enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I ended up choosing them. Um, the surgery was – Incredible. I mean, I remember waking up. It was pain I didn't know was possible, but I remember when, you woke up. when I woke up, I was just screaming. And because I had been on life support or whatever they call it, when you're, you're on, on a ventilator, on a ventilator, I remember trying to scream, but oh. you're you can't, and just like busting blood vessels in my eyes. Just oh. it was pain like I'd never known I could. And because I'd been on such heavy drugs for so long, oh, they couldn't tap they control. They couldn't control it. Oh my god! And then I ended up having. Um, spinal cord fluid leak and they haven't oh ever talked about God. this they had to do a tap you know a blood a blood a blood patch in the bottom of my yeah that makes it that, that just caused the most horrific headache it was so you had headache and but pain. a student had come in to try to redirect it in that place in my spinal cord at the bottom and he couldn't find it yeah and i remember they had me propped up for like 20 minutes and i was just screaming uh, on a level it was pain it was just pain i didn't mm-hmm. know was possible it was so it was really dramatic it was really and i just remember laying there i'm like i just want my dad 
<laughs> you know, um, but I felt my legs yeah. and, I, and I, I could feel them, Yeah, you know? And so the incredible thing is I walked out of the hospital. I was holding the wire uh. in my hand. I had another big ass neck brace. They took bone from my other hip. They removed the wire and then they refused it with like six or eight titanium screws this time. And they ended up fusing one, two, and three mm. just to try to stabilize it a little bit more. And after the original pain from the s- surgery died down, I ended up realizing I had this new pain. Um, and I don't know the scientific what it is exactly, but my whole entire right side just felt like it was literally on fire. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this reality within like a month or two was like, oh, okay, okay this is not this passing thing. Like this is my new New, this is my normal. This is my new normal. And it was just as much pain. It was a different type of pain, but I was in so much pain. And then on that point, I was in even more pain meds. I came home on the highest level of fentanyl that you could be on. Mm. I had morphine pills, hydrocodone, Lyrica. I mean, just Ugh. a bag of drugs. And somehow it is kind of miraculous when I think about it now, being in the place I'm in now, because it's so rare for people with chronic pain not to abuse drugs. You know, well, if they listened too much, they're back then, especially listening to the doctors, it was almost yeah. impossible not to. Right. Because they would just go, you have, you this is it. This, yeah. is how, this is the way we're going to control right. this. You're just not taking enough. Right. Or you're on, you need some short acting and right. long acting and this yep. acting and that acting. That's it's right. all BS. Right. But they believed it back then. Yeah. And this wasn't that long ago. I mean, that's I what's crazy. And I know. So, Listen, they, they only this year have we sort of gotten yeah. out of control a little bit. Right. So. so I go back to living in my bed. Which um, it felt even darker and more hopeless at this point because I knew – I'm like, this is my life. Did you go from the hospital to bed? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, it was it was dark and – Did you think of suicide and that sort of thing? No, not at that point. But I felt very, very, very hopeless. I felt – there felt like a cloud of oppressive darkness around me. Yeah. And I just felt like – I was very much – I felt very sorry for myself and I felt – I I think a lot of times with pain, we check out, we isolate, we shut down. And I didn't want to be a burden either. And so I was like every time someone asked me how I'm doing, I'm like, it's still terrible, awful, you know. And I didn't want to say that. I was just like I'd rather not see people because mm. I just – it was just – I don't know. And it was so not my personality either. And I just – it was so – it was so hard and it was so hard on my marriage and – Again, I just – if shoes were reversed, I can't imagine how painful and heartbreaking that would be. How, how long had you guys been married at that point? Um, seven years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And six of it, I'd been in bed. Yeah. So um, about two years into that next round of being in my bed, um, I ended up having surgery for endometriosis. And while in the hospital, I caught C. diff. Well, for those of you who don't know what that is, that's horrible diarrhea. I it mean, is, horrible. You just shit yourself <laughs> all day long for months. It's it's why they invented stool uh, transfers. Here are stool stool transla- transplants. That's no. what they created it for C. diff. It is literally the doctor would wear a bodysuit. I'm like, wait. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to catch this shit. Mm-hmm. It was gnarly like it was gnarly and I that took me over the edge I ended up hit and I could tell my marriage was coming to an end he was very shut down by that point and he kept saying yes to these tours that he didn't really need to take which 
I also don't blame him at all. I wouldn't want to have been around wanted to be around either who, who was taking care of you through all this because now you're like, i was you're, 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 i was alone most of it but i have but three you're, or four you're girls yourself and you can't I know. move and you're i had three or four girls that i let stay somewhat close to me mm-hmm. and they would take me to the emergency room in the middle of the night when the i fluids just and, yep and finally i told my family how bad it was like, it, it just got that were they not properly treating the c diff or could they not get it under control they i not, was taking it? i the, I had to take three different types of antibiotics, yeah. but it was some strain that they're like, this is a really rare uh, strain. That's what they have the stool transfers for. Yeah, it yeah. was so yeah. like one doctor said he hadn't seen this strain before. Yeah. So, I'm so like, they had you on vancomycin, yes. trimethoprim. Yes. And, and they um, cost a fortune. And, and flagyl. It cost Metronidazole. a freaking fortune. Well, the vancos a fortune, yeah. Oh my God. So yeah. anyway, I I just hit a wall. Like I I started... I stopped sleeping completely. My family came and got me and brought me home because Will was in Australia. And I I got worse when I got home because I think I, I started um, – I felt shame on a level I had never properly – they saw how bad I was, who, who? my whole family. Uh. And they were, of course, scared to death because I just – I mean, at that point, I had gone so – long without sleeping at all, which makes you psychotic. Like yes, I would just stare. You see, can see things. I you couldn't, I couldn't hear. My brother would have to say the same. I couldn't hear anything uh, he was saying you can't to concentrate. me. Yeah. I would just, they said that my eyes looked like I, they were bugging out of my head and I would just stare. And then when everyone would go to sleep was my darkest time because I would just have panic attacks all night long. And I would think obsessively about how much of a disappointment I would have been to my dad, which I know now is not the truth. But I just like I and I had a girlfriend who I actually have a tattoo for that had passed away when I was in college by a drunk driver. She was hit and her accident was way less. She had way less injuries than mine. And I would think about her obsessively because I was like, if she were here, she'd be changing the world. And mm. I am like, I am just taking and I'm adding nothing. And I would think of them obsessively about what a disappointment and how much shame I had. And so my family finally sat me down and they were going to send me to Johns Hopkins to get help. They were psychiatric hospital. mm -hmm. They were scared to death. And well, you were decompensated. Oh, legitimately. uh, (laughs) They should be scared. I was scared to death. And, but that scared me more than anything else had scared me. And it actually jolted me into some sort of action. So your bottom, it was my bottom. And honestly, I realized I never wanted – I wanted to sleep and I never wanted to wake up. Like mm-hmm. the idea of never waking up felt like that would have been the most – A relief. A relief on a level – I never wanted to wake up. I wanted to – yeah. I just thought I would – I was such a burden to everyone around me. And so when they said that they were going to send me away, literally the next day, I started cutting my medication – because I was like, you are not sending me away. Like that was the motivation. It had nothing to do with anything other than fear and didn't want to. And I think I was embarrassed at the idea of being sent away. Mm. So you've been, you've been ashamed and now you're shamed. embarrassed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. For everything. Trifecta. Yeah, exactly. And so that was the best decision of my life. Um, I would say about a week into that, I, I made myself this list and I set a schedule because I, I had to truly relearn how to live. So I had it, um, I'd say 8 o'clock. Even if I hadn't slept, I had to uh, put my feet on the ground. And I wasn't allowed to get in that bed unless it was dark outside. How did you, who, what part of you was speaking to you? 
you know, people have asked me that. And I think maybe, I'm sure I don't have an original thought in my mind, but I think I was probably, I, I was lucky enough growing up to be taught so many beautiful things just by action, like not with words, but just watching. So maybe something was just embedded in me that I didn't even know was there because no one was saying, do this, do this. Some resilience, some strength, some model for for recovery, some some hope, some, did did it feel like anything came in from the outside? At the time, I mean, my brothers were incredible. My, I remember my middle brother, my middle oldest brother saying, you know, babe, like you, you can lay in your bed and hurt all the time or you can get up, live your life, try to love people, and hurt. And, like, what's your better option? And, like, that sounded so, that sounds so basic, but something about that hit me on, su- like, such a core level. Was that once you started putting your feet on the ground yeah. that he said that? Yeah. Or was it before you made any change? He probably said it before, but I was so in another realm that I couldn't even hear it. He probably did. When did you hear it? I heard it about a week or two into weaning myself off the drugs. Okay. And so Boy, I was, there's a, there's a gigantic endorsement for yeah. things working, but unable to work. If you're unloaded, that's right. The things that do work or unable to actualize that's because right. of those fucking medications. That's right. I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear anything. Ugh. And so I had this schedule and I would make myself scratch. I mean, it was the most basic shit you could ever imagine. Like, eat breakfast, brush your teeth, take a bath. Like I, I had stopped taking care of myself completely. I would make myself also go on really small walks, but I'd make myself go on a walk. Was it painful? Everything's painful. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but what was that like? I mean, how did you push through that? Um, I don't, at that whole Just time. Just the alternative, feels, the, li- the life I'd be leading if I don't is more painful. <laughs> more and miserable. they'll send me away. Yeah. It was fear. Honestly, the beginning, the beginning of it was fear based. I was so. Seems actually shame based. Shame based. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Which is afraid of being more shamed. Yeah. And and I'd always been this really good kid and everyone had loved me and looked up to me and, you know, and, and all of a sudden I was having a nervous breakdown, complete nervous breakdown. And everyone in my teeny tiny town knew about it. And I knew that they knew about it. And that, that I felt shame. Just, it mortified me. Step into the walk-in with celebrity chef Richard Blaze podcast, Starving for Attention, every Tuesday on Podcast One. Serving up great interviews with Curtis Stone, Thug Kitchen, Andrew Zimmerman, and more. Download Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze at Podcast One and Apple Podcast. Also, don't forget to rate and review. Video conferencing has changed the way we do business. Fewer long-distance trips, of course, and it's FaceTime at the click of a mouse. And we're used to it. We, like, we sort of have a familiarity with it. In 2018, clear winner is Zoom. I use this stuff all the time on my podcast. It delivers flawless video and pin-drop clear audio. Instant sharing across any device. And it's easy. It really is. It's HD video. It's striking. And the first time you see the faces of 25 participants live on the screen, I mean, come on. You can push them all up there. With Zoom, you can share anything with anyone from any device, a Word file, a spreadsheet, a presentation deck, a YouTube video, a photo from your phone, and it's just so easy. That's why we use it, and it's more reliable. I, I just Zoom is the one. Zoom is the one we've been using for our podcast straight away. It's everything you always want in video communication with some amazing features you didn't even think of. 
but you'll wonder how you didn't and how we live without them. You can even set up a green screen behind you and make a backdrop of your client's logo or some exotic location, whatever you want. Now, if you already use Zoom, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, find out. Visit zoom.us, Z-O-O-M.us. Set up your free account today. Meet happy with Zoom video communication. Set up your free account today at zoom.us. All right, our friends at Blind Galore, of course. It's... um. I can't say enough good about these guys. They're so good at what they do, and they are very personalized. Blindsgalore.com believes you deserve the custom-built blinds. You will re- they'll bring out the your own style in your own home, done to your own specifications. Blinds Galore was the first place to where you could buy custom window treatments online, and trust me, they know what they're doing. We've got them. Corolla's got them. Blinds Galore does not build anything until you order it. They are window tra- and by the way, they want to know you're completely satisfied. They will undo everything if you're not happy and make sure you are. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, created for your windows specifically from start to finish, measuring, picking out, perfect window covering, installing it. Their experts are there with you, guiding you the whole the whole way, and they know what they're doing. Blinds Galore will even set you up with free samples, free shipping on top of the free expertise. You'll save a ton compared to the big box stores, and you will get the custom product made just for your windows and just for you. Not only will your new windows covering, not only will your new window coverings fit perfectly, but they'll look like they belong in your home. Blinds Galore really does have blind galore. So go to blindsgalore.com. Make sure to let them know I sent you. That is blindsgalore.com. Now, I've been talking about 310 Nutrition for a little while now. They are taking weight loss world on. They've been great help to hundreds of thousands across the world, help them lose weight, be happy. And for a limited time, there is a special for our podcast listeners. It is 310nutrition.com slash DREW. Use Drew at checkout, and you'll get free shipping. 310 Nutrition Shakes, plant-based, loaded with protein, fiber, and natural flavors. 310 Nutrition Shakes have no sugar, no artificial anything, none of the fillers and chemicals. So much more than just the usual weight loss shake. It's complete junk food replacement, and it tastes great. It's amazing how something that tastes this good can actually help you lose weight. Go to 310nutrition.com to learn so much about the company. You'll see it everywhere for a reason. It works. And they're standing by that. If you want to lose weight, this is the company you go with, 310nutrition.com. Use the code Drew, DRW, at checkout. You'll get some free shipping and great free extras as well. Oh, of course, our friends at True Car, everybody. Some useful tips you might not be aware of. Coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can help you clean the interior of your car. Putting the key fob under your chin can uh, help you f- uh, increase the range of your of your key, you know, the little clicker so you can find your car. These are weird things. Well, here's another tip. It's not weird. And you might not know. True Car also helps people buy used cars. That's right. New and used from True Car. It isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you enjoy real pricing, true pricing on actual inventory. So you lock in that scattergram. You see what people pay in your area. You lock in that price, and you know the price you've locked in is for actual inventory, a specific vehicle on a true car certified dealer's lot. It's a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users, as I said, see what others pay so you know you're getting that good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with the TrueCar certified dealers. When you're ready to buy new or used, check out TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Barbara Boxer is back in the political ring with her podcast, Fight Back with Barbara Boxer, every Thursday on Podcast One. She's tackling today's hottest issues alongside her daughter, Nicole, with notable guests like Senator Dianne Feinstein and more. Download Fight Back with Barbara Boxer at Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Also, remember to rate and review. Um. I've noticed in these moments of change that people get, it's often things like, 
I'm disgusting, and, yeah. I, and disgust makes people change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to die if I don't change. Mm-hmm. That makes people change. And and oftentimes some sort of a, a – I only have this as a vague notion now, but a sense that this isn't me or this isn't my life. Yeah. And I need to re- find – I need to regain me or my life. Was that – That came. Yeah. But at the beginning, it was probably the first two. Yeah. That ended up coming though. And the, the clearer my mind got. So the – the less and less drugs. I mean, I probably did it a little quicker than I should have, but it. Did you have withdrawal? You know what's so interesting? I think, so, and you probably understand this and can explain it to me way better than I know that I did. It was not fun by any means, but my probably... pain is so. I think a lot of times, like, I hurt myself constantly and I don't notice it. Like, yet, literally, I'm oh, yeah. bleeding on my foot. Yeah. I don't. And just now, my friend Garrett's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. I hurt myself because my pain is so high yeah. that I don't notice. Well, I'm, well, I suspect that all that awake during the night and stuff was chronic withdrawal. Mm. You, you were already in withdrawal all the time. Mm. And just stepping the meds down didn't change the level of withdrawal. just mm. actually eventually diminished the withdrawal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, at first I had that list. And then probably like two weeks into that. That, I, that being what? Um, withdrawal, um, weaning myself off yeah, the drugs. Yeah. I made this second list. And again, I don't know who motivated me to do this. I really don't because no one told me to do it, but maybe I heard it in another. I have no idea. But I made this list of things that I had loved to do before I had pain. And I remember writing like, I mean, it was really basic things. And I had to really dig because I had not done anything in, you know, seven years mm. at this point. And I remember. That was a long fucking time. I know. I lost a lot of life in that time. Yeah. I wasted. I watched more. Tele- I've seen every episode <laughs> of all time of Celebrity <laughs> Rehab. And this is a true thing. I do want to say, like, I learned so much from you. I learned. I watched intently. I remember watching the way you handled people that were suffering and in trauma. And I learned about what it looked like to hold space for people. Truly, I I did by watching. You said that to me. That was a very deep compliment because that's really the main function that you see me doing there. Most people don't get it. They don't understand what I'm doing. I saw you. It's holding the frame. Yes. It's holding the frame. And that has taught me moving forward because – now I, I, you know, when you tell your story and you you share your broken things, it frees other people up to be able to do that. Oh, so now, absolutely. pretty much anyone that comes up to talk to me, they end up sharing their story with me, and it's a lot of trauma. A well, lot of, I, and that's why I think you know the Me Too movement is bigger yes. than they understand. Yes. It's just the, that word Me Too is exactly. very very powerful. It is the most powerful words in the English language. Yeah. I really believe that because mm-hmm. we all feel pain can feel so isolating and shameful, and so so often which is such a disservice to the human spirit. We think that we need to look like we have it all together and put together and like, which is such bullshit. Like there is so much freedom. I'm this podcast that I'm doing. It's called unspoken with the idea of like, when we speak out loud, the things we feel shame and darkness about, it takes the power away. Where do you get unspoken? It's just, it's going to, um, it's going to be, uh, launching this month. Oh, congratulations. Thank you I will so be listening. much. I would be because, honored. Because this is, you know, yeah, this is really key material. And, and so what I want to dig at, keep going, how you yeah, recover, so, because because this, to me, goes at yeah, what's missing yeah. today. Yes. So <laughs> you're, you're a living, breathing example of mm. filling the deficit. Mm. Huh? So let's, okay. let's keep going. So I write this list. I wrote down things like when I was a child and before I started having pain, I loved flowers. 
And at that point, I'm like, I don't give a shit about flowers. But I'm like, no, like Ruthie before pain loved flowers. Ruthie before pain loved sunsets. I would lay, I had a tin roof right outside. It was two tiered. And I would lay out on my um, tin roof and bring a pillow and a blanket. And I would watch the sunset and I would stare at the star. I've always been in awe of the sky. But for seven, I never, I didn't watch a sunset. I didn't care. And I wrote down, like, you love people. And I remember, like, laughing at myself in my head. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't (laughs) give a shit about people. At the time, I didn't care about anything. I felt numb and dark inside. Um, And so, but I made myself doing do one thing on that list. And a lot of times they'd overlap. I'd be like, go pick flowers and bring them to someone. Like, I, I wanted to, my brother was, it really encouraged me to do stuff for other people. I had a friend whose husband was dying in the hospital. I had a friend who was shot in the Batman movie shooting. And they, from Baton Rouge, they ended up air her back after about a month. And I'd go sit with her in the hospital. And I just had to like stop just thinking about me all the time. At that point, I I had led with pain and my pain consumed me. And I lived on this lane of like, woe is me. I am a victim. (laughs) You know, I, I, I really truly believe we do teach people how to see us. And I led with pain. So anytime anyone saw me, they'd be like, how are you? Mm. How are you feeling? How are you doing? And subconsciously, I know now I found so much comfort in that sympathy because it justified living in my bed. It justified not working. It justified being a terrible wife. Um, and I remember reading. Is justified the right word? In my head, it did. Justified I don't. It, it doesn't. But it just made it feel okay. It made it feel okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, remember reading? Yes. I remember one night reading this um, blog this girl had written and she had lost both of her parents in a plane crash. And she wrote this quote out that said, the deeper sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. And I remember it was the middle of the night and I was having a hard time sleep. I I have a really hard time sleeping because of my pain. And I remember um, bawling. I started crying because I was like, that is going to be my story. I, it it was the first time, it's like this light bulb went off. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get to experience joy on such a deep level. Like I'm going to claim this. I don't right now. I don't feel joy, but I'm going to feel joy. And now what I know is as I was weaning myself off these drugs, I think when we all do it and we can do it in very simple ways, but we want to numb our pain. Like when you're quiet, you get on your phone to like numb the empty, the big empty. We turn on the TV, we turn on the radio, we take drugs, we drink, we eat. I'm a glutton. I am a seven on the Enneagram. We eat all the things. We drink all the things. Like I do that. And I think when we try to numb our pain, we also numb all the beautiful and good things. And so as the drugs were coming out of my system, all of a sudden, I remember one day walking out in my backyard and smelling um, the sweet olive tree, which my dad and I loved. And we would like stick them up our nose. <laughs> I would jump on the trampoline with sweet olive, which is probably so dangerous. You like <laughs> stick it up your brain or something. But I love, I've always, I'm such a sensory smell and taste. And Is that I, all stayed okay? That's all remained now? It's yeah, all back? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Fully. Yeah. I am so sensory everything. Um, and I smelled it. And I started crying so hard because I had walked by that same bush. I'd been living there for a while, but I hadn't noticed it. And all of a sudden, I felt it and I smelled it. And it like 
it touched me on such a deep core level. And up to those few weeks, I'd been making myself do something. And at first I was just going through the motions. I'd be like, go sit outside and watch the sunset. And I would make myself say out loud the beautiful things that I was seeing to try to remind myself of beauty. Because I just, all I had focused on was darkness. And I would be like, oh, the sun, it's like, I would say out loud, I'm like, it's turning pink and now it's turning. And I didn't care, but I was making myself do it. And now what I know, I think so often we think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this thing for someone else or I'm going to be happy once I get this. Like once I get this boyfriend, once I get this house, once I get this baby, once I get whatever, then I'll be happy and I'll go do other things. Or then I'll, you know, I don't, there's a million things once this, then this can happen. And I started realizing like, I had to do the action first and just hope and believe and just trust against all whatever that the emotion would come. So when I smelled that sweet olive and it touched me so deeply, I I, I got the chills or something. Mm-hmm. The emotion started coming. And I remember having this image of myself in second grade when I got glasses and I walked out of the doctor's office and be like, Mom, <laughs> look at the sky. Like, look at those leaves. I had not seen them. And all of a sudden – you know, weeks and months into this, I I felt awe again, like awe. I was in awe. I was in awe of the beauty all around me. And I was in awe of the people around me. I was in awe of watching my nieces and nephews. I had been, I had not cared. And all of a sudden I'm like these precious humans, like their personalities, you know, like one of my nephews is my brother made over the one that I'm obsessed with. And all of a sudden I was obsessed with him. (laughs) And before I was just, I didn't care. And so this beautiful, it was just, it was like I woke up. And what I know also now is pain. And I believe this in the core of my being like pain I lived on the lane of victim, woe is me for so long. And when I let myself lean into my pain, which I thought would kill me, I, I thought I need to try to numb that. I thought it would kill me. I thought it would just, I would be consumed with the pain of it. I didn't think I could handle it. And when I started making myself and also going to counseling, that was a huge thing. Counseling if you're not in counseling mm-hmm. update, it's the most important thing. Did, <laughs> like, you, did you have time picking it? Is it difficult to pick a therapist? It you took lucky me a minute. You... It took me a minute. I had one and she was, it was good for a season, but who I have now is just Lindsay Singleton. You dream human. How would you describe what she does? Does she have a, a technique? <sighs> she does a lot of things. She does a really good job of help. I'm a verbal processor. Uh-huh. And so she asks me really amazing questions and she's able to, Ask me things that I wouldn't necessarily. I think I'm a pretty aware, you know. But, but does she do her questions like you know, like bow and arrow target, and then you talk for a long time, and she doesn't say anything. Um, yes, so that kind of thing. And then when when you're talking, is she very very focused? On very you? Yeah. focused. That's really good. Very. Yeah, so it's emotionally. She won't tell me what to do. Right. It's, called, it's called emotionally focused therapy. And she does EMDR, which oh, I am the oh, biggest. That's perfect. Because did, Biggest did you do EMDR mostly around the accident and the pain and that kind of stuff? Or? I've done it around the accident. I've done it around the pain. I've done it around my divorce. Mm. I've done it around a lot of things. Um, I also did this incredible breathing treatment with a girl in Nashville. 
And it was, I don't know what to describe it as other than like, I did this like tapping motion. There was loud music. Mm-hmm. It was kind of bright. And then all of a sudden it was the coolest thing, Dr. Drew. Like at first I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like my, I've had to disconnect from my body to be functional because mm-hmm. it's so intense. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was tapping to this music and my mind went back to all of these really, really traumatic moments. But the me that I am now was also there. And I got to sit with myself and I like, I jumped back to my wreck, but I, the me that I am now sat with her and I was like, you are so loved and I'm here with you and I will never leave you. I remembered, um, having my nervous breakdown at my brother's house and I laid in that bed with her and I held her and I said, you are so loved. You are so treasured and you are going to be so much better than okay. And this is not the end of your story. And I spoke truth to that girl who was traumatized mm-hmm. and it was one of the most beautiful healing. It makes me want to cry. It was the sweetest. I sat with her when I held her, when she wanted to have a baby more than anything in this life. And I held her and I'm just like, I'm so sorry. I know what a loss that is for you. And and I also knew that's like, but you're going to get to be a mother to so many people and you're going to be able to love and care for and show so many people how loved they are. And that me came in and entered in and it was just so powerful. And so I've had a lot of, I've, I've let counseling and all of that, like it's been a job for me. Like it's, I, 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 I've like, I've taken it on as like it's part of my job to take care of myself. But and you've done it. I mean, you've, that's I, what you look, you know, to, yeah. that's what you want in a patient is somebody yes. motivated doing yes. it, participating. Yes. And, and you were there. You've been doing that since you turned yeah. the corner. Yeah. I mean, you've been I've been doing active, that for four and a half years. Active, which is no time. Yeah. Given what you've been through. Yeah. So my so. husband did end up leaving and a lot of things happened. Thankfully, he did it. It was like six weeks after I'd weaned myself. It took me four months to wean myself off everything and about six weeks. It takes a year to clear too. Yeah. And um, it was really painful and it's really hard. And he ended up with a really good friend of mine. And it was, um, I mean, it was really heartbreaking, you know. But I, I think because I had come off of all those drugs, I knew what not to do. Because everything in me wanted to shut back down and get back in that bed and cover up under the covers and hide away because it was pain, like just the deepest pain. And I was scared to death. I didn't know I was going to pay my bills. I didn't know if I was going to have to move home. I didn't know I was going to support myself. And luckily I was in this um, community in Nashville with the best humans who had stuck with me when I had nothing to give them for years. And they had loved me so well. And they told me I was good at design. They told me they had, <laughs> you seen, didn't believe it. No, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I had just, but I'd always loved beauty. I didn't know I was creative. I had no idea I was creative, but other people told me I was, and I did not have the luxury of fear anymore. I couldn't worry that I didn't have an ounce of experience. I couldn't worry that my body might not be able to show up for me the way I wanted it to. I'd had to pay my bills. And so I had to learn to say yes, which was terrifying. I had only said no. I had only said no to anything that would make my pain worse for seven years and everything makes my pain worse. And so all of a sudden I was in this season. I'm like, get back up. You have to get up. And you have to say yes. And I started, my brother paid for me to get a website. And I like lied and told people I was a decorator. All I had was my house to Is show photos. Is that what you do now, design? No. Well, no. <laughs> Not anymore. No. Now um, I speak full time and I'm writing oh, wow. a book and I'm doing this podcast. So um, it's shifted a good bit. But after I started this, I started an Instagram account and all of a sudden – 
I was just posting the things I'd love to do. And I loved hosting and I would post about it. And I love bringing people together and I love picking flowers and, you know, and I was posting those things. And all of a sudden I had probably like six or eight months into that, I had people that didn't know me following along. Wow. And I started getting people saying like, you live this dream life. Oh. And I true, I mean, that hit me on like the deepest core level because at that point I had, was still in this phase of like speak beauty and people, if you see beauty, speak it out loud in a person, in a place, in a thing, like no one's ever bummed by a compliment update <laughs> ever. And so I'm like, if I see something incredible in someone, I'd go and I'd tell them. And so I was writing about that to just, it was kind of, that was my medicine to not focus on how shitty things were also in my life at that point. But you've said how the pain now and the experiences are are exactly what you expected them to be in terms of your source of joy and meaning and yeah. and depth. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so I once I started having those comments, I ended up I was like, you know what? I this is it made me sick. I remember feeling nauseous because I would picture myself laying in my bed looking on Facebook at people's lives and be like, I wish I was out playing with my children and not laying here suffering. And so I wrote out my whole story. I mean, all the details, C. diff, shit pants, dad, <laughs> wish he was here, going through divorce, pain every second of every day that kicks my ass and makes me vomit, <sighs> you know, and I write it all out. And I remember feeling naked when I hit publish because I'm like, oh, my God. Goes. And it was probably one of the most beautiful. I mean, people started writing me instantly and sharing their pain with me and telling me how this was motivating them to not feel like they had to live in their bed and that they could get up too. And it was this, it was the first time that I was like, this pain, I'm going to be able to let it be purposeful. If I can like help someone else know that they're not alone, like what it, like what an honor, you know? And it made it, it made me realize like, there's not something up there that's being mean to me or punishing me. Like, this is going to be used in a way that can help other people. And so I started, people started asking me to like speak on podcasts. And then someone asked me like two and a half years ago to speak for the first time. I was like, oh my God, this could be a nightmare. I'd never spoken at any, I didn't even speak at my brother's weddings. Like, wow. I was like, I'm going to say yes. I'm in a season of yes. So, okay. But I'm like, so upfront. I'm like, this could be a nightmare. Um, and I did it. And I remember my friend Garrett, who just dropped me off. He's one of my best friends. He was there with me. And it was like, I remember looking these women in the eye and just being like, this is why I'm here. Like, it felt like the greatest privilege to get to look women in the eye and be like, whatever broken, painful, fucked up thing that you're living through right now or have or will, like, this is not the end of your story. And this can be the thing. If you choose the harder path, the harder path, it's really hard work. It can make you so much softer. And so much better. And it'll give you eyes. It'll allow you, like, I feel like I have almost like x-ray vision now. Like, I can see people. And I can enter in with, it gives you empathy. Which, if you haven't suffered and you've numbed it, you can't walk with people. You can't hold space for people. You can't be in the space. You cannot. And, And now I can walk with someone that's going through a divorce and dealing with heartbreak. I can walk with someone dealing with death of a loved one. I can walk with someone with emotional, spiritual, physical pain. See, some people think that happiness is the absence of pain. Oh, God. But <laughs> it's what not, a joke. What right, a disservice. Right. It, but it really, the way I think about it, it's, is living a certain kind of life. Yes. 
with others, for others, yes. connected others. Yes. And and that's pain is irrelevant. Well, pain can be a guide or a whatever. It can be inspiration. It can be all kinds of things, but you, don't, I, you have to not have it. Yeah. And I'm so not about trying to be happy. Like, I just think that's, I don't know. I, I don't love the idea of like, just pursue happiness. Pursue. I say, tr- pursue wholeheartedness. Yeah. Fullness. Fullness. Yeah. Like when I see someone that's truly joyful, I can never look at them and feel jealousy because I know too much. When I see someone that is truly not happy, but joyful, I think that person has been through so much and they've done really hard work. I also think joy specifically is some, is a shared emotion. Yes. I don't think you have joy by yourself. I, I think you can have sort of good feelings by yourself, yes. but real joy is an yes. amplified experience with others. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And I think one thing too that I want to like – Really, I, I talked about, you know, counseling is so huge, but also like facilitating community. Like I, mm. my community is my lifeline. My friends, like I have the most incredible life-giving wholehearted group of friends that love me so freaking well. And they make me want to be so much better. And we, I, it's funny because people write me a lot because um, I talk about my friends all the time because I'm so in love with them. Mm. And they're like, how do you get friends like that? Like, how do you get, and I'm like. It's honestly really simple. Like you have to be a really amazing friend and you have to live out of a space of abundance and know that there is space for all of us. And we can be each other's biggest freaking cheerleaders on the planet because there is room for all like my friends and I, we joke like if somebody gets a boyfriend, we're like, oh, we got a boyfriend. <laughs> Someone's have a baby. Like, we're having a-. like my girlfriend, Lauren, I'm going to her house tomorrow. It's like our baby. We're with Connie in Mexico. Me and Alex were like, Yobi is ours too. Like we are share like it, it, we sh- live that way. You know, and it's this, we live with a, we know that there is so much room and we all know that we are loved by something so much bigger than us. And we all want to be mirrors of that love. That's, that's how we enter the world. And those are the people, when you live that way, you attract that. And it's, it's so, it sounds so basic, but it really kind of is. It's, it's, it's basic, but it's difficult, but it's hard. It's hard, hard, but it's a choice. It's basic, but it's not easy. And it's a choice. It's a choice to turn towards it, work yes, towards it. and work towards yeah, it. And yeah. and it's not like we have a flaw. We all see each other's shit, but we're also very loving and can call each other. And we all want accountability. Like my friends will call me on it. Like yesterday I was being a shit. And Garrett, like we took a moment. And then I was – I think now the more I work, the more – I still have those tendencies. I, there are days I do not want to get out of my bed. There are days where I eat everything in sight and I will have chocolate crumbs all over me and I'll wake up with chocolate wrappers and I can go back there. But what – easily, easily. There are days I'll be like, I've been in this bed for two days. Mm. And But what I know now is I'm quicker to come back to my whole – more my more whole self. I'm yeah. quicker and whole I'm self. quicker – I. I don't hide it anymore. My friends, I'll be like, I need to come spend the night with you because I don't want to get out of this bed. And My hiding, pain is hiding is not a good instinct. No, it, yeah. and and that's what pain does. It you want to it, it makes you hide. Yeah. yeah, and it's just yeah. Well, you you've shared what I was deeply hoping you would, and I, I'm hoping that people are as moved by your story as I am. I I, I know they will be. But I feel like I could do like three or four more conversations with you, and and, and maybe it's I'll, maybe I'll do it with you on your I would podcast. Love or something. it! I'd be honored. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, but but it, it, there's you know, to me there's two big big geek stories. Well, three maybe, which is 
what's missing, everybody. Ruthie's telling you what's missing. She's a living, breathing example of what's missing. Now, she's had to live at large and fill it, but, but it's a, all of us have some of this, what she's talking about, all of us. Yeah. And then we have a lot of people in pain in this country. Yes. And they don't know what to do. And they're scared shitless they're not going to get their meds. Yeah. And the meds are not the answer. <laughs> and they're also not getting proper treatment. That's right. The, I mean, you've had proper treatment, EMDR and digital yes. therapy and physical all, and a great family support and all yes. these things. Yes. We have to figure out a way to get these people relief. Yes. Uh, and some of that relief is um, community too, yes. which is the other part. It's so crucial. Yeah. And we we're, we're, we're don't have community anymore. Yeah. We're just all falling apart. Yeah. So listen, I, I hope you will stay in touch, and I hope we will do some more of these things. I would love Cause, it because I feel like this is a a beacon of, of the kinds of thing I'm looking for. Mm. That that when I think about what's wrong in this country and you know our spiritual vacuum and all the trouble yeah. we're having, your story is such a great narrative. To I can't understand why how everyone can't find a piece of themselves in your story. Mm. Mm. And so we'll look for your podcast. It's what it's called again. The Unspoken Podcast. Unspoken Podcast, yes. and it will not be unspoken. Uh, around here because we will speak it <laughs> often the unspoken spoken uh, to hopefully listen to it and be a part of it and uh, thank you so much the thank website ruthielindsay.com anything else you want to no I'm just I want to thank you nope I'm yeah, I, won't, so... I do not accept it I, I thank you for sharing today that's what's important here I really okay. appreciate it alright we'll see you next time for Colin Times and Topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Mm-hmm.